Well, good morning, Spring Lake family. It is so good to see you. If you do not know me yet, I am Adam. I am the pastor of Discipleship Ministries, and I work out of the Bellevue campus. And it is so good to be here, um, having been here a couple times now over the summer as we are going through Songs of Summer. In fact, wrapping that up uh, very soon as, as we think about uh, summer and already, even as you look at those announcements, that August is already here. Hard to believe. I know um, some of you kids are probably like, oh, school's about to start. And some of your parents are like, school's about to start. And, um, and, and as we think about Songs of Summer, just as we think about who God is and our own experiences, I mean, we, we really have three more seasons. I mean, we could have Songs of Winter. And, and I think that would be a really good time just to focus on Songs of Deliverance, right? Especially during those, those winter months in Wisconsin, like, God, get us out of here. Um, but this morning, we are continuing on in our Songs of Summer, looking at Psalm 116 this morning. I want to invite you to turn there with me, Psalm 116. And this morning, we are going to be looking at uh, really the, the, the reaction or really the response of what do we do with what God has done for us. In other words, how are we to live our lives as a response uh, of this amazing thing that God has done for us in salvation? And as you think about maybe in your life those breakthrough moments that you've had, maybe there, there's been a time where um, you, you couldn't find your keys, you're looking all over the place, and then somebody says, hey, you're looking for these, and, and, and you feel like hugging that person or, or, or a doctor that has been treating a, a loved one in the hospital and they help bring that person through and you're just like, man, I, I, could, just, I, could, I could just hug you. The, the responses that we have as a result of something amazing happening, we're going to see that in Psalm 116 this morning. Here's what it says. I love the Lord for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, I pray that you would continually keep us hungry for you, for more of you. God, that we would not become easily satisfied in what we already know, but God, keep us yearning for more of you because you alone are the one that can fill us. You are the only one that can satisfy us. And so, God, this morning we pray that your word would speak to our hearts. 
that you would remind us of your truth, and God, that we would be transformed, that we would be encouraged, that we would be convicted as a result. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. First thing uh, I just want to say uh, about this psalm, first point this morning as we start out is that God's grace reaches into the most desperate of times. I mean, as, as we look at this passage, it's a song of celebration. We see the psalmist declaring a lot of things that he's going to do. But in order to understand his jubilation, the cause for celebration, first of all, we have to understand the situation that he was initially in. The desperation that he realized. And we see within this psalm a song of contrasts. It's true that many times in order to understand good news, we have to understand the bad news. I mean, on one hand, you can rejoice with someone that says that they're expecting a baby. But when you realize that they've been trying for seven years to get pregnant, there is an altogether different elation that goes along with that. Um, You can celebrate with someone when they say, I got a job. And and that's great, but when you discover that, hey, they've been searching for two years trying to find that job, trying to find that that fit for them, you realize, wow, that's that's a big deal. Someone that completes a race, and you're like, hey, congratulations. Well, when you find out that a year ago they were in the hospital after a critical accident where it didn't look like they were going to live, and now here they are running races, you're like, man, that's amazing. What we see here within this psalm is that, first of all, we see this this desperate state of being. We see right off the bat in verse 2, he says, The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave overcame me. I was overwhelmed by distress and sorrow. See, he, he realizes he's, he's in a situation that is very difficult. That's where he was just a couple days ago. I think it was on Thursday uh, off the coast of Australia. There was this humpback whale that was entangled in these nets, and SeaWorld Australia raced out there to try to free this whale because no matter how much this, this whale tried to get out of this netting, there was nothing it could, it could do. In fact, the more it struggled, the more it was becoming entangled and death was imminent. There was nothing that it could do to free itself from the entanglement that it was in. And it's a great example of the entanglements that we find ourselves in that the Bible says leads to death. In fact, the the book of Hebrews describes sin as something that entangles us. That oftentimes we feel like we have a handle on things, but very quickly we realize that what we thought was something that was a pet quickly becomes something that is wrapped around us, and we find ourselves in a situation where we are asking ourselves, how in the world did I get here? How in the world did I get from where I was to this place? And ultimately such entanglement leads to entrapment. It leads to death. It always leads to death. The death of joy, the death of peace, the death of relationships, the death of well-being, the death of physical and spiritual life. You recall being in that situation uh, yourself where you were stuck, where you just felt lonely, where you felt isolated, and you think, who is going to help me in this situation? How do I get out of this this hopelessness, this shame. And what we see in Psalm 116, we don't know exactly the circumstances that the psalmist is going through where he is stressed out, where he is talking about this entanglement that he's in, this this anguish that he's experiencing, this overwhelming distress, this 
overwhelming sorrow, but we do know that he is at this point where he's not finding hope in anything else. Where he says in, in verse 11, where he's getting the sense that everyone's a liar. I can't put my hope in anybody else. Nobody else can help me in, in this situation that I am in. It's not going to come from anybody else. And so he needs somebody that is able to rescue him. He needs a savior. And typically, or, or similarly, um, each of us experience the same thing spiritually in life, where we become entangled in things that nobody else can save us from. The Bible calls that sin when when we rebel against God, that it leads to death. We do things that go against God's desire for us, or uh, we don't do things that God desires us to do. And the consequences of that is death. We each fall short of the glory of God. We each become entangled in our own sin, in our own way of living. And here's the reality, just like um, if you put in your 40 hours this week at work or 50 or 60 or whatever you're working, because at the end of it, you realize, hey, I have wages to receive for that. I have something coming out of this. I'm not working for free. You, You realize that there are wages. There is something that you get as a result of what you put in. Well, the wages that we receive for disobeying God is death. I mean, if you realize that everything that you are working for this week in your job ultimately was leading to your death, how many of you would continue on in that job? Well, it's got good benefits. <laughs> not, not if death is what you have coming at the end of the week. And yet, in our sin, that is the wages of death. The situation is dire, but yet in such a situation, in such dire circumstances, there is reason for hope because we find ourselves like this psalmist of saying, you know what, I am just caught up in stuff that has gotten hold of me. I have fallen short of God's standard. Here is the amazing thing that, that we see in this psalm is that God listens to our voice. God does not just leave us floundering. God just does not just turn his back on us. But what we see in verse 1, he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. In verse 2, he turned his ear to me. How amazing is that? that? That God would turn his ear to listen to our cry. That, that he sees our plight and he turns and responds, not simply in acknowledgement, but in action. I, I mean, if you were to go to, to Lambo right now and to enjoy Packer Camp and, and, and to enjoy all the festivities with that, and you see all the people, they get excited about that and, and are watching the players, taking the bikes to the kids and doing their thing, and people are calling out for the different names of different players you might see a player maybe, maybe turn, maybe, maybe wave, maybe acknowledge, but, but that's it. Here we have Almighty God who sees our plight, who hears our cry, and he turns his ear and he responds to those who cry out to him, who cry out for his help. See, within this psalm, it's not just that the psalmist sees God as this big guy in the sky, just the one who's sitting on the throne, but someone who is personal, who is compassionate, who is holy, who is protective. Look at verse 5. He says, The Lord is 
gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. See, it wasn't because the psalmist was saying, hey God, if, if you do this, I'll do this. It wasn't that he was making some kind of vain promise. It wasn't just that he was throwing out wishful thinking of, God, I'm, I'm going to do all of these things for you. If only you will save me. There were no conditions. He had nothing to offer. He was simply entangled and in the snare of sin and death, and he cries out to God who turns his ear and responds. The beautiful, great Amazing news is that God turns his ears to sinners who cry out for him. That is amazing. Look at verse 4, the the response of what he did. He, He wasn't offering all these promises. He's simply calling out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Those are the exact words that Peter used of Jesus when he thought that he was going to drown. Lord, save me. And in that, in that story, Jesus doesn't tell Peter, well, this is how you swim. Just, just doggy paddle. Just do this. Just keep your head above water. Gospels tell us that immediately, immediately, Jesus reached down to pull him out of the water. That's the God that, that we serve. That's the God that offers hope, that God offers salvation to, to all who will come to him. It's not that you have to try to get yourself out of your snares first. It's not that you have to try to get untangled first before you come to God. It's not that you clean yourself up first and and then maybe then you can approach God. I mean, the reality is if, if we had something right now, a medical emergency where you needed CPR, I'm sure none of us would be in the boat where we're like, okay, first, you know, if they're going to do mouth to mouth on me, I'm, I'm going to brush my teeth first. Give me a breath mint. Right? You're not, you're not worried about your breath. You're like, man, I just had Mexican last night. You know, it's not too good. You might want, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, not, you're not doing that. You're realizing, I need help. I am in this desperate state. There's no taking care of myself, trying to clean myself up first, doing what I think needs to be done. I need someone to save me. And that's what God offers us. See, the only hope that we have in getting, out, getting um, unentangled, getting out of this mess that we are in, in sin, is not going to be from self-effort. It's not going to be from promises that we make. It's not going to be self-help. It's not going to be turning over a new leaf. It's that we need a Savior. We need a Savior that will rescue us, that will come in and get us out of the situation that we're in. And the, and the hope that we have is that as we cry out, Oh, Lord, save us. God sent Jesus, which means God saves. Our God saves. And so the Bible tells us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not, you know, what um, you, you might be saved or you have great hopes of being saved or you have good possibility that you, you're going to be saved. It's you will be saved. Because it's the work of God, not the work of you. It's what God has done for you, not what you can do for yourself. That Jesus, as Savior, came into the world to die on our behalf, to take on the penalty for our sin, everything that you have become entangled in, 
Jesus dies the death for. Jesus takes our place for, even though he himself had never sinned. He stood in that place and willingly died on our behalf before a righteous God and then rose again so that we could have victory not only over sin, but over death as well. That's a mighty Savior that we have. And, and so as we think about this, the, the fact that because we have a Savior, that we can enjoy God forever. And, and here's something right now is that forever is a long time and forever starts now. It's not just about, okay, hey, someday I'm going to go to heaven. It's about forever starts now. It's, it's about right now we are a reflection of God's grace, of what he has done The second point being that all the years of your song can be used for the glory of God. As we're thinking about songs of summer, and each one of us have our own songs. Each one of us have our own verses. Some of those verses that that we might not like. Some of those verses that aren't so pretty. Some of those verses that we're not so proud of. And yet the resounding chorus can be what God has done through all of it. Maybe, maybe another way of saying it, if you don't like it said that way, all the days of your life can be used for the glory of God. And what I mean by that, there might be times where you look back in your life and you're like, you know what, man, I, I was not living for God at this point in my life. Maybe that's something only more recent in the last few years, or maybe even in the last couple months, you're like, man, a lot of my life, I was just wasting it, I was blowing it. And while it's true that you cannot get back those years, those years can be redeemed. In the sense that, hey, I'm not proud of my past, I'm not proud of these things, but because of God, I'm not that person I was anymore. And that depth of change, that, that gap between who you were and who you are is to the glory of God alone. So that it's not, hey, I'm not proud of the person I was here, so it's not that I'm touting that, but I am touting who God is and what he has brought that person out of. So it's not a matter that, hey, I have to look back on those years as shame. Then it becomes, okay, it's not about just forgetting what was here because it's in being reminded of what was here and realizing that that is covered by the grace of God, that God has brought me out of that entanglement and brought you out of that entanglement. If you put your trust in Christ as your Savior, that there's hope where you look back at that time, you're like, my goodness, it's not about forgetting. It's about realizing the grace and the glory of God at work in my life, the transformation that's happening. What God can do in the hearts of people that come to him and say, God, save us. God, save us. See, it's not just about getting cleaned up and looking nice. It's about God's glory. It's about what God desires to do in and, and through us. Now think about this for a moment as we just think about all the days of our lives that we can have redeemed by the grace of God. Think about the thief on the cross that's next to Jesus. Not the one that's mocking him, but saying, you know what, we, we are paying our rightful dues for the kind of life that we've lived, but this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. I mean, think about that. Here is a criminal who realizes he has lived his life for his own glory, done his own thing where he was getting caught up in things that were going totally contrary to what God would want for him. And yet in this moment, crying out to who he realized was a savior, realizing, hey, this cross is not the end for this king. This is the righteous king. Remember me when you enter into your kingdom. 
I mean, just the audacious request of that, a criminal asking a king to remember him. How many people do you know that have faulted you, have done something against you where you say, I want to remember that person? Because those are the kind of people we want to forget. And he is asking Jesus to remember him. And what does Jesus do? Hey, you know what? Just shut up and die. No, he doesn't. Hey, today you will be with me in paradise. See, every, everything that he had done that had led up to that moment was terrible. It led him to the cross. But those same things, if he would have just looked at it and says, you know what? I've lived my life. I'm paying my dues. This is what I have coming to me. I'm just going to take it and die. He would have missed out on the kingdom of God. His past life took him to the cross where he embraced the Savior. So regardless of the kind of past that you have, regardless of the kind of shame that you might be touting around that you're holding on to, realize that a Savior came to take that shame, to bear that shame for you, that that shame does not define you. Jesus came to bear that for you so that you could have hope, that you could have freedom, that you could be set free, that you could be his How amazing is that? That the audacious request of any of us to say, Lord, save us, that we have a God of audacious requests who hears us, who responds to us, and does so every time. See, when we live uh, our lives, there are certain things that we might regret. There, There are certain things that we might wish we could get back, and yet those times can be Redeemed, And so the question I have for you this morning, if you're hanging on to things, if you're saying, you know what, I, I'm just not ready to come to Jesus yet because I think I have to do something, you can't do anything. You can't clean yourself up first. The question is this morning, today, are you going to put your trust in Christ? Are you at the point where you just say, you know what, I realize I can't, I can't bear this burden. I can't clean myself up enough. Jesus, I receive what you have done on my behalf. And I ask you to cleanse me. I ask you to forgive me. Ask you to be my Lord and Savior. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of faith. See, when we realize where we've been, what we've been entangled in, and what God has done for us, it makes a difference now in how we live our life. Because when you realize, man, you've been entangled in something that was leading to death, when you've been overwhelmed by shame, when you have been overwhelmed by a past where you're like, man, it's broken, there's hurt, but now God has set you free. How do you respond to that? In fact, we see even the psalmist saying in verse 12, what shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? And the amazing thing is, it's not payment. It's not that, oh man, now I gotta pay my dues. It's about, man, there is, there is freedom. The shame does not define. The entanglements no longer hold their sway. They no longer have their power. God has set free, so now what do we do? Third point, a, a saved heart responds in worship and surrender to God. Saved heart responds in worship and surrender to God. As we think about being saved, being saved from our sin, being saved from the entanglements, being saved from the shame, being saved from a life that rejects God to a life that is received by God and embraces God and desires to honor God with all that they are. Within this psalm, there's five different things that I see as far as how do we respond to this. 
Okay, so, so God saves us, great. Well, it's, it's more than just now I'm going to heaven someday. You know, sometimes um, it, it's a matter of kind of almost scare tactics, like you don't want to go to hell, do you? You better accept Jesus so you can go to heaven. Oh, I want to do that. And, and, and so then we, we do that, but then our lives aren't any different because it's just about, well, I'm going to heaven someday at least. But God didn't just save us for heaven. He saved us for himself that we might know him right now, that we might live for him right now, that we might not be entrapped by things right now that are going to kill us. And so the response for us to respond in worship and surrender, first of all, he starts out in verse 1, love the Lord. Love the Lord, where he just says, I love the Lord. And then all of it goes into why he loves the Lord. God saw my plight. God saw my state that I was in. I cried out to God, and he saved me. God is gracious. God is compassionate. I love him. Oh, that we would love him more. Man, I confess to you right now, I don't love God enough. I don't love God enough. I love myself too much. And the reality of what God has done, man, it should spur our love for him more and more. The greatest example that we can think of as far as in love and committed relationship between a husband and wife, there's that day where you stand before God and people and you are making a covenant with one another because you, I love you and everything's all schmoopy and you know, it's all sweet and nice and you love each other. You're going to spend the rest of your lives together. But then years later, after you've been through quite a bit, you're like, wow, you know what? I thought I loved you then, and I did. But the level of love that I have for you now, because of everything that we've been through, and now that I know you even more, I love you all the more. And that's what our love for God should be like. God, I love you more and more and more. Not just like, I love God. But that it is something that is stirring within us where our love is a response to what he has done for us. Because, after all, our love is a response to his love for us. We can never outlove God. We love God because he first loved us. Secondly, that um, we rest in the Lord, verse 7. Not talking about not sleeping, but what we see in verse 7. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. This state of rest, this state of contentment. Because God offers rest, there is nothing else that we have to carve out for ourselves to try to find meaning. There's no place that else that we have to go or acceptance from anybody else that we have to try to receive because in God we have that. God provides rest in himself. Jesus told us in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. But the striving of trying to figure out what life is all about, God, you've given us that. There is rest in that. And what do we do with that? Verse 9, the sense that we have been set free so we might walk before the Lord. To walk before him, living our lives with awareness of God's presence. You, you realize that when people are around, there are certain things, certain ways that you act when people are around as opposed to when they're not around, right? Depending on the person. There, there might be certain things where it's like, okay, you know what? If there is a police officer that is driving behind you on the highway, then all of a sudden it's like, ooh, <laughs> I'm going the speed limit. And you're doing everything just right. 
If, if, if there is a, a teacher walking past your desk, well, then it's like, okay, I'm, I'm doing my homework. I'm not on my phone. You know, there's, there's certain aspects that you do when you realize that there are eyes on you. Well, walking before the Lord, realizing that we live in the presence of God, having an awareness that, that we live before this holy God, walking before him, walking with him, enjoying fellowship with him. Verse 13 through 19, I, I would phrase it this way, to commit to the Lord, that salvation changes everything. Through these verses, 13 through 19, over and over again, we see the, the psalmist saying, I will, I will, I will, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. See, it's not just a matter of coasting on feelings. It's about a matter of commitment. Because feelings come and go, right? There's sometimes where you feel like doing something and other times you, you don't feel like it. And if you base your life just on what you feel, your, your life is just going to be a, a roller coaster uh, of experiences. And at the center of it is you. When it's about commitment, it is about the other person. It's about I am choosing this even though naturally I may not feel the desire for that, but I am making a commitment for you. And ultimately, when we are doing it for the glory of God, it benefits us. It's for our joy. Maybe not in the immediate where we understand that or we realize it, but ultimately it is for our joy. So the sense that we have to commit. And, and one of the things I do want to point out just as an encouragement in verse 16, for those of you that are in households where you are the wife and your husband is not a follower of Jesus and you are struggling and you're trying to show your kids Jesus, or maybe you're here this morning and you're a single mom and you're saying, man, this is so hard. And you know, what hope do I have as a single mom or just carrying the weight of trying to show my kids Jesus? Look at verse 16, truly I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You freed me from my chains. Never underestimate the power of somebody solely devoted to Jesus. You single moms, there's hope for you and for your kids. When you surrender your heart to Christ, your kids are watching. And God is honoring. God is honored through your sacrifice. So stay faithful. We see it right here in the psalmist. Notice he's not talking about his dad. We don't know for whatever reason, but he is highlighting the importance of his mom and, and what she has done. Next, proclaiming the Lord, verse 14 and 18. Proclaim the Lord, where we see this sense of fulfilling his vows in the presence of all the people. Realizing that our lives are on display, we, we, we are on display for the glory of God and where he is living out his life, fulfilling his vows so that other people might see this God that we serve. You know, when you're out and you're wearing your favorite sports team's jersey or their stuff or you have the bumper stickers on your car, you are proclaiming what you're all about. You're proclaiming who you are cheering for, who you're rooting for, who you are a fan of. Our lives are on display to show who we are followers of, who our lives are all about, that we might proclaim him. And then lastly, verse 19, to praise the Lord. To praise the Lord. What is the response for those that have been saved? To praise God. God, man, I praise you for what you've done, 
for what you've brought me through, for from what you saved me from, that our hearts would continually overflow when we realize every time that there is sinful behavior that is unveiled, every time that we are reminded of past hurts and past shame, realizing, but that's the past. Not just past by time, but past because God's grace covers that. And that no longer defines, that no longer holds sway to praise God for who he is and what he has done, that we celebrate who he is and tell of the great worth that he has. See, when it comes to God, we cannot brag on him enough. We cannot brag on God enough. May we brag on him more. So what do we give to the God who has saved us? What is to be our response? We give him everything through loving, through resting in him, through committing to him, through proclaiming him and praising him. And may we, family, do that more and more for his glory and our joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, this psalm that speaks into our hearts, God, that each one of us can relate to being entangled with junk, being caught up in stuff that brings shame, that isolates, that brings hurt and ultimately death. And yet, God, we rejoice that there is a Savior, that you love us, that you have turned your ear to us to save us, to give us hope, to free us, that we might walk with you, that we might know you, that we might enjoy you forever. And God, may we love you more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.